Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi there, I'm Toshi and welcome back to Sex in Space. We're here continuing to explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. I hope everyone out there is doing splendidly. Whether you're joining us on this podcast as a newcomer or you're a seasoned voyager who has travelled with us before at Sex in Space, we're delighted to have you with us. If you're tuning in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or any other platform, we sincerely thank you for joining us. Don't forget to show your support by liking, rating and subscribing. You can also find more great Sex and Space content over on TikTok and Instagram. Just search for us using our handle at sexandspace.com. That's sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M. We really love hearing from our listeners and engaging with our community, so please feel free to reach out in any way that you like. Your feedback means the world to us. Now let's dive into an incredible interview. Dr. Jane Charrington had the pleasure of sitting down with Morgana O'Reilly, and today I'm going to let Jane introduce our lovely guest. Let's jump in. Today, we're delighted to have in studio the wonderful, multi-talented Morgana O'Reilly, successful actress, writer, performer, storyteller, mum of two. And um, she caught our attention at Sex and Space when she recently wrote and performed a solo show, Stories About My Body. And it was, I went and saw it. Thank God I got told about it. It was beautiful, thoughtful, funny, emotional, inclusive. Um, unpacking of your relationship with your body really mm. and and a story of part of your life using sign language we'll come to that phenomenal and words and a wonderfully embodied sometimes naked performance <laughs> <laughs> which was cool um, which included tales of selling your toes in New York which was hilarious and we will come to that as well diary entries riffs on the body from boobs to birth and trying to like your chins mm. And so we're really excited to have you with us today. It was yes. a beautiful privilege to see your show. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, we followed up. We're like, we need to talk to this girl. So yes. Oh, yeah. it's a pleasure to be here. Welcome. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about this stuff, as you know, because you came and watched the show. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's great. Well, for those that didn't get to see the show, let's start there. Yeah. Um, can you explain um, for our audience what Stories About My Body is all about for you? Well, I sort of had the show sitting in the back of my brain for a while. I kind of, I remember it being kind of just a funny anecdote that I would say to friends, but I, I, one day I'm gonna, I want to make this show right, where the first thing I do is run on topless, because it was a <laughs> joke that I, me and Kuda Forrester used to do in, when we shared a dressing room, when we did a theatre show together once, where I would hoon around the dressing room pretending I was late and um, tits akimbo because boobs are never treated as funny things they're revered or mm-hmm. sexualised and they're silly so um, 
speaking of which, I'm going to fix Tuck them in. Um, <laughs> and then, so I would do that, and then I'd tell the story of working at foot fetish parties, and then I'll show my birth video. And so that was kind of like right. this little like hilarious idea that I had. And then I made, made that. And I, yeah, dug up the, my tween diaries. I kept a diary every day for only two years of my life, which happened to be Form 1 and Form 2, mm-hmm. a.k.a., what is that, Year 7 and 8? I guess ages yeah, seven and eight. People, yeah. So. Um, but just that middle school period between primary school and high school, uh-huh. which I think everyone can relate to being a pretty tumultuous time. Um, you know, some some people of that age are really young, and some people are desperate mm. to be grown ups. Mm. I was desperate to be grown up, so I pulled those out. And I, one of my major memories from all of those is just writing so much hate about my body in there, like really coming to this realization, well, not even realization, because that implies that it's real, but coming to this decision that my body was wrong and drawing, I'd draw pictures of like skinny, what I wanted to be like, but what I really looked like. Oh, it was just so toxic. Mm. Um, but then also in looking back at it, it's really um, innocent and sweet. There's still a child there. So those are threaded through the start. And then I just sort of have a big old rant about my body and bodies in general and working in my industry uh, you you just have to think about yourself externally in a different way and have started to realise more and more about how I just actually have to keep unpacking my ideas around it otherwise I'll get sucked up into the hysteria and then I tell the story of working at foot fetish parties in New York where I sold my toes for money and then I tell both birth stories and show the birth video. Yeah, which was really yes. cool. So I like to joke that in the sh- in the show you see everything of me except my bum crack. Oh, right. Which yeah. cracks me out. Cracks me out? Uh-huh. Huh. The next show is just going to be all about me bum. All about your bottom. How fabulous. <laughs> stories about my <laughs> anus. <laughs> Doesn't sound as appealing. And so how... F- people responded to the show this is big stuff yeah it's so amazing the um the response is magical it's really connected i i love performing and it gives you that anyway but this one offers a slightly more direct access maybe what i assume would be similar to playing music you know often i think Okay. If you don't play music, you're jealous of people that do because mm. you wish you could have that sense of access to a person's emotional mm. place, right? When you, because we all know what it's like to feel music and go, oh, just kicks yeah, yeah, you in the yeah, heart in a way that other you. things can't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's really lovely and finding camaraderie and how it's made people, how it, they agree and they it has affected them. So that's amazing. Are you still? doing the show or is that yeah it's sort of um i just did it in hastings a few oh, last week oh which wow was really great um and yeah it's sort of i know I, this is a thing that i get with my shows where i i get a bit overdoing them and i think mm. that nobody wants to hear it anymore you know mm-hmm. that oh god i've done it so many times like i'm sure you know it's probably just my inner critic that's like oh shut up <laughs> But um, every time, and then I do it again. My husband's always like, you know that you'll do it again and you'll love it. And I do. 
So I'll be doing it in Tauranga in October. Cool. I'm trying to organise a little Christchurch season because my homies on Instagram would really like that. So I'd like to make that happen for them this year if possible. And then I'd like to try and turn it into a little film. Um, mm. You just have it, then it can live on without yeah. me as well. Because yeah. the other thing that I like to say is that I just made the film that I wanted to see. Made the show I wanted to see. Made the show I needed to see. So mm. it's um, as much of a mantra for me as it is everybody else. Because it's not like I can just believe that stuff every hour of every day. I have to keep reminding myself. That's the hard part, right? Yeah. Yeah. We live in a culture where you're getting constant messaging the other way. Yeah. And I have even recently... Well, I talk about this in the show, but, like, you, if I decide to like my chin, my underchin, if I decide to love my crow's feet, if I decide that, then I'm adding to the communal opinion, which essentially is a Western beauty standards, any beauty standards, mm. are communal opinions. Yeah, they are. Right? So we do, we talk about society as an external part of us a lot, but it's us still, just what happens. Yeah, yeah. What happens if, if every time I critique something, if I just go, gorgeous, really nice, what happens if I like it? Then I have added to the collective opinion mm. something different. Um, and that that can be... Um, opinion is catching. It's um, contagious, you know. So. It can be. I mm. guess the, the challenge, you know, when you think about people listening and particularly if you've got a younger daughter mm-hmm. uh, or any child you're raising but but who is in that middle school yeah. diary writing period where they're writing you know or drawing thin thems or yeah or, or only seeing the ugly yeah how to put on the goggles that show the beauty how do you or take them off you know take the cultural goggles off mm. how do you find beauty in a space that tells you it's not well i think there's a few few folds to that idea because there is, of course, the external input of what you're seeing in social media, movies, TV, all of that, music videos. Um, but there is also just understanding your own um, sense of strength and courage and optimism in any moment. And helping, I, I would love to, when and if my kids come to me and say, I hate my body helping them understand that there are different layers to this. First of all, you're perfect. You're absolutely perfect and nothing's it's fine. But if you're feeling this way, there are there are reasons beyond what the world is telling you. There are like the food that you're eating mm. contributes to how you feel 20 minutes later. Yeah. Um and moving your body every day can just help keep your brain from eating itself. And I don't want to mm. say diet and exercise because those two words can be triggering. But <laughs> essentially it is. Like what you eat, what you put in your body can help um help your brain keep a little bit more optimistic mm. and moving your body when you can can also help. And so I would say to them in that middle phase especially, which could help set them up for a bit longer, is like just take stock, have, do stock take on yourself. Mm. Um, and if those 
thoughts and feelings are coming up more I'm more than happy to support you in ways that we can keep your brain being nice to you because mm-hmm. you're great and I would never speak to you I would never want anyone to speak to you like that mm. um, but there are things that you can do to help we can segment these so it's mm. yeah I was reading a thing the other day that um, said of somebody who enjoys being naked um, the cultural myth of beauty um, is easily turned over if you literally walk onto a nudist beach and see this is humanity here are your bodies totally and it's sort of like you need that reminder eh? because that's the other thing I try and be aware of and I was talking to an older woman about this the other day who was saying that she feels um, she's pretty she's really confident in her body um, but when she's had to do a photo shoot, she works in, you know, showbiz. <laughs> when she's had to do a photo shoot, especially with um, some younger people or if they're sports people or something, she starts to reflect in, mm. on back on herself. And something that I have noticed is, and another thing to recognize, how when you are feeling vulnerable or tired, mm. what scapegoat, who, who takes the hit in terms of yourself? Some people, it's their talent, you know. They go, oh, I suck, I shit at what I do. Other people, like myself, when I'm tired and vulnerable and not feeling super tip-top, my body will take the hit. I will start being awful to it mm. and um, understanding that. But then those reminders of physical diversity mm. can help combat those moments that they can sort of smelling salts you out out of it yeah and actually the the other thing about the kind of emotional experience that we have when we Mm. give ourselves a hard time or we tell ourselves off i think too that being able to recognize that's very common as a human experience to understand that everybody goes through anxiety everybody yeah most of us there are some people who are amazingly confident (laughs) or complete narcissists however yeah the rest of us are busy with this little internal narrative like no no, that doesn't look right even probably the people who are for the most part fine Mm. i would bet you if they they're probably fine because they're probably pretty comfortable most of the time but as soon as they're out of their comfort zone yeah. I bet you something will shift mm. they'll either become too chatty and too nice or yeah. the other way around something will take the brunt of them mm. feeling a little bit inadequate to the, or on the more extreme side mm. of feeling really inadequate and I, I look at, like I look at the Kardashians which obviously Listen. are huge representations of western beauty standards which um, you know we can dissect them for hours but um there's one of them is it Courtney and she's had a lot she's had a lot of work Uh a lot of obvious very hardcore work and she was the one who was known as she was a bit more curvy and uh, but I I feel for her because in my darkest moments if I had had the money oh yeah I would have done things because I thought that would have fixed it um yeah you know absolutely like you want to do it go for it yeah all I would say is unpack it a little bit where's it coming from what's yes. the driver is it really going to make everything better also is it going to make you look weirder in 10 years mm. <laughs> but I remember when I was little you know you put your arms around your granny or your aunties or whatever mm. and they were just your grannies or your aunties you loved them they were gorgeous and you never noticed no. their age or shape or no. that, it just wasn't there Yeah. I don't know maybe kids notice faster now but we are so ageist. 
Oh, totally. And these these archetypes that are, I I feel some hope in there being uh, physical diversity mm. being highlighted more within the realms of woman as much as there has been within the realm of man. And I really got a sense of that watching the women's rugby and seeing that sports team, that lineup of women who are all different shapes and sizes, depending on their job in the team, they had a different body type that yeah. was important for that. And they were all absolute top of their field, high-end athletes, but did not look like penthouse models because that is just this one type of woman's body. So maybe with more women's sports playing a huge yeah, that's interesting. role and yeah. some female physical diversity. So you're not just one. And then when your body changes and your face changes, that all of a sudden you're kicked out of that group and you were just deemed yeah. not. Yeah. Healthy bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and happy faces. Yeah. And yeah. beautiful lines and lovely yeah, bumps yeah, yeah. and, you know. Yeah. Lovely bumps. So you went offshore. Mm-hmm. Talk us through this because it's the oh, most yeah. extraordinary OE in terms of. Oh, it was a great OE. Um, I took myself travelling all through 2009. Essentially, I went to 17 countries in eight months. Oh my god! <gasps> I know it was so good. The audacity of youth, eh? I yeah. think I was 24, 23, and turned 24 on the way. Um, I went through Europe for three months and up through South America for two months and then into the States for another, you do the math, months. Um, and I finished it all, and I was on my own predominantly, obviously I made lots of friends along the way, met up with people, but um, at the end I was, I ended up in New York and definitely needed to make an airfare home. I decided it was time to go home, I was pretty keen on just a Kiwi summer right. <laughs> and it had been a long time. Um, and so, but I had been told by everybody, oh, you'll find under the table work mm. in New York. No worries at all. Like everybody works in bars for, you know, um, for cash. And I tried for ages. I walked and walked and then was told that because it was the recession, like everyone right. was looking for work and no, there was no work. So this is, yeah, 2009. I don't know if I said that. Um, so I finally, this is totally just word for word of the show now, but I finally found a cafe in the East Village that would pay me $2.50 per hour plus tips. And in the weekend, no dollars, nothing per hour plus tips. <laughs> so um, that was fine. But then, uh, so my Craigslist searches started to get weirder. Um, and Craigslist, if you don't know, is kind of like Gumtree or Trade Me, you know. Um, and in the end, I found an ad. I looked for nanny work. Everybody wanted somebody more long-term, which fair enough. I looked at some other things, and they did start to get creep, crept into a weirder space. And there was totally a part of me that was like, could I strip? I just didn't think I had quite the confidence for it. And then I found this ad that said, foot worship parties, no funny business can make up to $300 for, per night. That's awesome. I know. I was like, oh, my gosh, my feet... They're the only part of my body I've consistently liked. So <laughs> it's I... a small area, but okay. Yeah. Ah. Well, you know, I did tap... They're weird. It's the weird thematic link in those feet. <laughs> and then also, side note, since doing this, the internet has noticed my nice feet from mm. being on TV shows. They don't even know that I used to work in foot fetish parties, but oh, I'm on you Wiki mean there's no feet. Link? 
no, there's no weight. There's no link. Like it just, they've taken screen grabs from anything. So validation. <laughs> They're good feet. Um, but yeah, so I went in for a casting. They invited me in for a casting. And then I got to work the party that night. And so it would be every Wednesday night on the Bowery in the Lower East Side. And I'd go down and you have to work the room. So it was something that I had to get good at. At first I was way too chatty. Like if you're chatting with someone... It's not. It's twenty dollars every ten minutes, but you have to be sitting with them for us for a session for you know with your mm-hmm. foot in their mouth. But if you're just chatting and asking questions, it's not going to work. Which I did for the first one. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> tell me all about it. Um, and you had to tip out fifty bucks, so I begged them to let me keep it and promised to come back and earn more. And then I started to get quite good at it, mm. um, which was great. There's. Uh, there's a really specific kind of pride in walking to the subway at 3 a.m. in your heels with a bra full of American cash. Mm. Getting your subway home and being like, yes, I am so nasty and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and my cash is sick. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm upper cup size. I've upper cup size. That's right. I say it's one of the more unusual lines of sex work that we've had on sex oh, in space, right. which is cool. Yeah, that is cool. I and because there's a part of me as well, you know, like I think for most people, that's like pretty way out. But it was great to have an insight into that world and mm. realize that I know just like the tip of the iceberg. But lovely to get an insight into a more specific kink mm. that you know, fair enough, go for it. Ah, it's awesome. I think it's really, as always go, it's right up there. <laughs> yeah, good. And so when you were at middle school and not comfortable with your own body, from then to now, what, what, what's, can you, are there pivotal moments on the way that allowed you to really take stock and say, hang mm. on a minute? I think one of the thing oh, there's lots of been lots of things that have contributed like I did tap dancing growing up which was pretty loose and relaxed and lovely but then every year we would do an exam which is fine and, um, and I would but we all had to wear a blue leotard and as we got older we would have to wear flesh colored stockings under the blue leotard that would then cut into the flesh so you'd see mm, the line mm, just mm. things that made mm. me aware and then I would lose weight and put it back on and frequently throughout from my late oh, late teens, 20s and became very aware of how the world treated me oh. at different stages. So I became very articulate of that. Or at least just in the way I was projecting out. Mm. Because it could also have been said that because... I felt like I looked right. I was more confident. Maybe right. that. But, um, and then I think maybe it was after having a baby and and just being a bit older and having to just having to unpack it a bit more. So it wasn't as uh, losing weight was not as accessible an idea as it used to be when it was just me on my own and I could Mm -hmm. restrict calories and ride my bike every day. When you've got a baby, you can't do that. Mm. Um, And also had to think about how I was going to respond if she 
when she was going through the same things. Mm. Yeah. So those were some, and, and then still, still figuring it out. Yeah. It's a lifetime, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter what shape, size. Really. Yeah, that's Again, right. Back to yes, there, right. There are a little slither of people who are fine, and the rest of us have to work it out on an ongoing yeah, basis. Yeah. And so, with having little ones, how old are the babies? Um, eight, pretty much eight Not in a, a few weeks, <laughs> and nearly five in October. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, not babies at all. With eight, you know, I'm writing a book at the moment um, how to talk with your kids about porn oh amazing I need to know all about it well you know and and so part of it of course really it's it's a Trojan horse because it's a book about how to have conversations with your kids about sex it's yeah. it's a backfiller for those of us that came through school without much for sex education yeah. which is most parents but I would say the big call out for parents is self-educate become the circuit breaker because we cannot lean in on schools apart from anything else those poor teachers most of them came in the same path as us don't have sex ed and there they yeah, are right. facing a sea of expected <laughs> yeah, right. kids and they're not that much older um it's yeah, hard right. you know so oh, i mean and each school's going to have a different ethos around it so you can't rely on them you and pleasure is still not in the curriculum. Yes. I actually do know I remember. I have a really strong memory, you know, being at Ponsonby Intermediate School, being in a sex ed class, which probably comparatively was pretty progressive, even though it was still very clinical. And I remember sort of we'd been taken through the mechanics. Mm. And I remember asking, I remember putting up my hand, and I still look back at that young Morgs and go, like, good on you, girl. Because I put up my hand after being, you know, all the... And I was like, so... You know, you've explained that there is a clitoris and there is a hole, but like, they don't, they're not, how is, how is that going to work? And it took that question for the teacher to explain that theoretically the, the top of the pubic bone above the penis is supposed to rub against it. But like, I would have never, because they are not next to each other, (laughs) you know. And that kind of brings up um, a beautiful um, guest we had recently, Her, her mission in life is to unpack this idea in western culture that sex is about penetration right because it's four percent of women are orgasmic through penetrative sex is it only and four? the rest of them yeah. <laughs> so sex is definition totally. and particularly for our kids needs to be widened out it's about pl- pleasure yes. it's about um, desire and, and arousal and enjoying and play with and another play. person I heard a talk a while ago where this woman had sort of noted that a lot of her interviews with queer girls, where they um, acknowledge losing your virginity as the first time you have an orgasm with a partner. And I was like, that's great. Yes. I loved thinking back on my that first moment for me and was like, oh, I'd love to think about that as losing my virginity in that point. Yeah. Um, and I think same for both parties involved and um, having sex. If it, You can't brag that you've popped someone's cherry if you haven't made sure they've had a good time. Well, that's right. And also, as um, our guest said, you know, um, why, why is it that we're losing something? Oh my god, totally. Yeah. Yes. You know, is oh. it that first time we gained that 
yes, experience of sexual totally. pleasure. And the first time our cherry got ripe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you can't pop a cherry. Anyway, don't you know how cherries work? Um. <laughs> There's a lot of work to do, for sure. Yeah, or just waking up, isn't it? Or understanding you're like, yeah, like you say, you don't lose something. And, yeah, yeah. But I look forward to having a more continued conversation with my daughter and because I was so um, I got into it too early like looking back mm. like I lost my virginity when I was 13 it's very young it's really young and I really am only now really understanding the kind of um, the price of that mm. and how it affects my own sexuality and that sucks how would you for other young women that thinking about whether or not to have sex at an early age yeah what is the price of that for you how do you understand that i think i uh maybe i could have explored because it's not to say i wasn't horny and it's not to say i didn't want i loved all of a sudden because again you know i had just lost a bunch of weight and all of a sudden all these boys liked me Mm. which they hadn't and I was like a kid in a candy store and it was so nice to feel desired Mm. Um, I don't know is it about um, even just understanding that being enjoying that enjoying being flirtatious and kissing and things like that but you can't rewrite those first few times. Also, and this might be too much for a young person to hear, but like you start writing your own little kink book at that time, don't mm-hmm. you? So the things that really turn you on around then, I mean, you can see why the schoolgirl uniform is such a big th- deal because everyone was only just starting to get horny around that time. So it, it threads itself into your little, um, your little guidebook for what you specifically find really hot. And also the things that you find ick. Um, and it can just start writing those pages too early and lock something in as something that really grosses you out. I like that um, unpacking, though. I think it's not too much to hear. I think it's great to have, like, a kink and ick. You know, what yeah. turns me on yeah. and what am I not up for? And maybe it's about going, hey, girl, whatever age you are, or hey, young person, it can be any gender. Yeah. Um, whatever age you are, um, you know, if you, if it's even vaguely X, say no. Yeah. You know, you're allowed to write your book as early as you want in yeah. terms of what's out. Yeah. You know? And it's like, and a lot of sexy stuff is unspoken. I We're all trying to be more vocal with consent and talking about mm. what's happening. But a lot of also the fun of it is it's a non-verbal communication but it can mean that you can sort of like whoop, get yourself into a mm. into a position literally <laughs> that, literally <laughs> that you go oh damn it damn it i don't actually like this this is it but here i am yeah 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 i guess the, this generation coming through yeah is being given permission to say even in a position sexual that they don't want to be in to say you know what actually i want to stop yeah that's new yeah you have to understand it though don't you to say I just I think because my when I was 13 I was 
basically talked into giving a blowjob. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand it. Right. And then I remember him going, oh, just for a second, you know, just really quickly. I'm like, okay. And then, of course, he came immediately in my mouth, which I wasn't... It felt like a gas going off. It was really mm. unpleasant. And I was like... But it's changed the way I've felt about oral sex. Right. With penises. It wasn't a great start? No. I never wanted to do it again. It was really not a good start. And actually, yeah, it was... A little damaging. <laughs> I mean, he was yeah. oh, being able to explore it in your own yeah. time, and, and that was and the thing. It's like it was ick, but it was too late to realise it was ick. Yeah. I was like, oh damn it! <laughs> <laughs> oh damn! Oh, this whole area is closed to me for now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that um, you know that. Where do we learn? How do we learn? Yeah. Were there any good resources that you came across, books, films, websites, anything, when you were growing up where you were oh, like, oh, yeah, question. that's great? Nah, I mean, I was just sort of piecing it together. I do remember a wonderful moment with my mum. <laughs> this, I think, is also indicative of how the role of the quote-unquote auntie mm-hmm. could be really useful as well. Like, it doesn't always have to be a parent. Right. But I remember her saying to me, she goes, Morgan, I just want you to know. Because I would have been like, Twelve. She goes. I just want you to know, you know, it's really you. When you start masturbating, like I just want you to know that it's really natural. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, I'm never gonna masturbate. Gross. She was like, Yeah, but you will. And when you do, I just want you to know. And I was like, No, I never will. Well, she goes, Yeah, but you will. And when you do, I just want you to know it was really, it's really natural. And I just was like, No. And then I can remember that I, I reckon I, I held off for like an extra two months just because I didn't want her to be right. Oh yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh damn it. And. Then, but I wonder if, and not to say, I mean, mum, bless her, good on her. She should absolutely have um, talked to me about that. But maybe if she'd enlisted uh, another grown-up that I, or like an auntie or something. Yeah. It could have hit, oh, uh, yeah. I've thought about this a lot. Of um, it, Your experience as a heterosexual female, um, you're not called on much, historically speaking, to think of your sexuality as part of your being, mm. where it's something which I may look at um, people who identify as LGBTQI+, or even just men, heterosexual men, um, with envy, that uh, even though I'm, I know that the LGBTQI community have been persecuted for their sexuality, but in its best moments, it's part of their, their being. Um, a heterosexual woman's pers- uh, sexuality, in my perception of it, is externalised and is... Uh, an observed thing so Mm. I think a lot of what I viewed my sexuality as was just about being nice to look at being sexy Mm. performative and I did a workshop with my friend who was a tantric sex therapist years ago and like 10 years ago it was so great and it was so great because it was this whole day where we were being called as people to explore our sexuality that didn't mean having sex. Mm-hmm. It just meant explore that side of yourself. And I think that was a real revelation of like... That, and it sort of relates to that idea of like, what do you like? Instead of like, someone touches me and then you go, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> performance. is performance, which is a good time mm-hmm. if you can use that to turn you on again. But 
Yeah, that was a big revelation. So that's um, in answer to the earlier question, um, in terms of resources that have been useful at Tantric Sex Workshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. definitely, that was great. Sign up for one of those. Oh yes, mm-hmm. Shani Marie, she's great. Look at her on Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. And so, um, if you were looking back at your middle school girl self, yeah. what advice would you give yourself from this vantage point? It's a funny one, isn't it? Because part of me goes, nothing. Look, she just had to learn what she had to learn. And here I am today, and I probably wouldn't be talking about it if mm. I had been enlightened enough at the time. Um, I definitely think about what I can offer my children when they are that age, mm. in terms of what we've talked about. Um, compartmentalizing your feeling of dissatisfaction with yourself into that of your cerebral health <laughs> um, how your physical informs it how good food, good mood and then unpacking what is our collective opinion on what makes for somebody who's nice to look at um, yeah, the advice I'd give myself was learn how to do your tax <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank uh, it's you. been amazing. Those of you who get the opportunity to go, go and see the show, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, those of you that don't wait for the film, I'm serious. It's, it's beautiful and it's, um, the potential as a resource is incredible. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that aren't sure about how to start those conversations, that type of stuff is a great way to start a conversation. We really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. You can find Morgana on Instagram at at Morgana O'Reilly or you can search for her on Facebook where you can also find tickets to her show Stories About My Body, which she will be performing in October in Tauranga. It's definitely not a show to be missed. Before we sign off, we want to remind you to check out our book available at sexandspace.com forward slash book or simply search for The Organ Education Forgot on Amazon. We also have a downloadable PDF version available, which is eight New Zealand dollars, and you can find that on our website too. Don't forget to leave a like, follow, comment, or review wherever you're tuning in from. Your support means the world to us. Until next time, safe travels, and see you on the next episode. Bye.